0: Hello! (laughs) Welcome back to Drip aka Don't Read Into A Podcast. I'm your host Noelia and basically every other week I just review a movie, a tv show, and a book except I'm literally going to change that rule because this week I'm not reviewing a tv show. Instead I'm reviewing just a movie and a book. There are a couple reasons. Number one because the theme of this week is kind of niche and I couldn't really find a tv show that fit the theme very well and because for the next episode I'm gonna be doing an episode just fully dedicated to a tv show since the tv shows that I've covered have been mostly just one season very short so I want to do kind of like a full show and I think I would need more than 15 minutes to talk about it so I want to dedicate a whole episode to it and yeah that's the other reason. Okay so this week's title for the episode is Journeys and Escapism and basically I'm just going to focus on a film and a book that have to do with journeys and people escaping their realities in order to find what they believe is their destiny the theme of today's episode is as you can probably tell journeys of displacement and there's an emphasis this episode on physical traveling to go somewhere to escape a current situation so for the film i'm talking about the peanut butter falcon it was directed and written by both tyler nelson and michael schwartz The cast is Dakota Johnson, once again. I love this woman. I mentioned last episode that I kind of want to get through her whole filmography. I won't do every movie for, like, reviewing in this podcast solely (laughs) with Dakota Johnson. It just happened to be that this is the movie I chose for this week. But also Shia LaBeouf is in it and Zach Gottsagen. So the synopsis is pretty short, but there's a lot that goes into it i think i found this on wikipedia um, the synopsis is after running away from a residential nursing home to pursue his dream of becoming a pro wrestler a man who has down syndrome befriends an outlaw who becomes his coach and ally so it's a road trip movie and it's also a feel-good movie as well but it covers some daunting topics like ableism and society discrimination of those with down syndrome the loss of a close sibling poverty and of course because of shia LaBeouf, grand theft that man anyway um this film is related to the theme because both tyler and zach are fleeing their situations in order to find new life and be free of the worries they face day to day for tyler who's shia labeouf's character he's running away from crimes he committed and grief and zach is running away so he can feel less trapped in his own life because zach for some background has down syndrome but he's in um an old people home you know with the geriatrics because his family abandoned him and they just left him there like they didn't put him in the proper facility for care for people that have down syndrome or anything like that it was like his family just dropped him off at a little geriatric place Uh, i don't know if that's insensitive to say geriatric like that okay (laughs) they left them at an old people place which is also insensitive i don't know what the proper term is so this movie like i said is kind of like a road trip movie not by car or anything (laughs) for the most part they're not in a car but it was really reminiscent of little miss sunshine when i watched it and i was like huh i wonder why and i looked it up and the producers of this movie produced little miss sunshine so obviously they just like get it so the whole point of zach's journey is Obviously to escape feeling trapped in the nursing home, which is the proper term that I couldn't come up with 30 seconds ago. Anyway, (laughs) he's basically really obsessed with this wrestling man that he sees on kind of old tapes that he has in the nursing home called like his name is the saltwater redneck so he wants to attend like this professional wrestling school that the saltwater redneck has that he has seen you know pretty much every day because he always plays tapes of the wrestling school and it's kind of hard to understand in this at first. They don't really explain it, but it's the kind of thing where you just have to keep going and just try to understand like what's going on here. Um, because at first it just looks like he's watching TV. And then you notice that the the saltwater redneck is Thomas Hayden Church. And you're like, okay, like it, is this gonna come into play in the plot, whatever? So then when he's escaping the nursing home, he says like he mentions his birthday party and the saltwater redneck and you're like okay weird so basically he's trying to find the saltwater redneck well he's not trying at first he's just like constantly thinking about it then he meets tyler they don't really get along at first because of a certain scene that i won't spoil but eventually tyler like warms up to zach and then tyler's like zach what do you want and zach's like i want to be a wrestler and tyler's like what and he's like yeah like the saltwater redneck and then he explains to him like who the saltwater redneck is and they're like okay cool and zach is like yeah his wrestling gym is in south carolina i think and it's like on the way to florida which is where tyler wants to go because he's like escaping and wants to go to florida for some reason for background i'm from florida i don't i don't understand why he wants to go to florida the whole time i was confused i'm like you could go anywhere else and you want to go to florida anyway that's just a little personal thing shia labeouf so man <laughs> um so basically they figure out how to like do this road trip without having a car but the whole time they're in north carolina which obviously everyone knows is a very like watery place <laughs> oh my gosh it just has a lot of bodies of water so a lot of people transport via boat like i don't know if anybody else has read where the Dads sing but like the main method of transportation is just like boat Like she has to get groceries, she goes with her boat. Anyway, that book is good. so basically at first they're on a boat but then the boat stops working uh because they stole the boat and Shia LaBeouf was not treating it correctly it went over some like grassy area and the motor got messed up and so they like are washed up on shore and they're like okay what do we do now but they have a map right and I, I I don't think it's that far away like I think Shia LaBeouf just knows where he's going Shia LaBeouf's character Tyler knows where he's going because the journey takes a couple of days but they're like on foot pretty much for all of it so I don't think it's that far anyway they they wash up they find this like junkyard kind of area just like somebody's backyard with a ton of like old ships not ships boats um and they're like rummaging through and they see like a tin boat and they're like oh my god this is perfect like it's not nice or anything but it's perfect and somebody comes out and starts like shooting at them and they're like oh my god oh my god and it's a blind man so they're like "Uh, uh, oh my god and he asks them like are you (laughs) like are you god-fearing men they're like yeah yeah we are and he's like oh okay good come inside like he was literally just threatening them with a gun but then because they said they're god-fearing he was like cool Okay, and then he gives them supplies to make like a raft, and they do, and it's like pretty chunky raft, like it's a pretty good looking raft. Um, and they're on their way again. And this whole time, as they're like doing this journey, trying to get to the saltwater redneck, there's a nurse lady. The way I don't know anything about nursing homes, a caretaker. Oh my god, that's totally the word, a caretaker. This whole time, a caretaker played by the one and only Dakota Johnson is looking for Zach, and she's like showing people his picture and being like oh my gosh have you seen this boy like i need to find him because if not they have to report him to the state which she wanted to do but her boss was like we're not reporting no missing boy to the state In that southern accent <laughs> but <laughs> i'm so embarrassed that accent they basically they- dakota johnson is like oh my gosh what like you have to report him to the state he's missing and her boss is like no find him find him or else and so that adds a little bit of pressure (laughs) to her you know trying to find zach so she's looking for him whatever and uh spoiler alert it's not much of a spoiler it's in the trailer um she finds them (laughs) i won't tell you what happens after she finds them but they do reconvene another subplot that's going on is that shia labeouf you know, I said, like, grand theft. And you know, I said, like, he stole that boat. Well, he's an idiot. Like, Shiloh, La- I like how I'm not calling him Tyler because I, like, want to call Shiloh Buff an idiot. I like the man. I do. I just think he's so funny for some reason. But anyway, Tyler stole this boat that belonged, obviously, to someone else. And right before he stole the boat, he, like, blew up, like, $12,000 worth of supplies of two, like, men that work, I don't even know what their jobs are, but um, they're very menacing. One of them looks like g Easy. <laughs> g <laughs> not menacing that, i don't want people to think that but one of them does look like a menacing version of g easy so he blew up their supplies because he was angry at them because i think he got fired or something i really wasn't paying attention i've seen this movie twice and yet anyway so basically the whole time they're like looking for him and this is another reason i think that wherever i think it's aspen is that in ohio okay don't come for me <laughs> midwesterners <laughs> basically the reason i think that the saltwater redneck is not really that far from where tyler was living and where zach's like nursing home was because it doesn't it takes him like a few days to travel by foot but the people that are chasing shia labeouf down are like excuse me tyler around (laughs) are like right on his tail and so is dakota johnson so i just figure if they had a car things would go faster anyway so these men are looking for tyler to get revenge and they're like chasing him down and Tyler's becoming pretty much a better person at this point because, you know, he really cares for Zach. He's becoming he's kind of gaining that brotherly figure in his life that I don't know if I mentioned this before, but Shia LaBeouf's brother is dead. (laughs) This is so unorganized. I like have a script, I'm not reading it. But basically, Shia LaBeouf's brother is dead, so he's like grieving that. He's also a criminal and zach is like a really good influence in his life because all of a sudden he has someone that like has an unconditional like admiration and love for him and he's kind of like a mentor for zach but at the end of it zach is a mentor for tyler if that makes sense like he just teaches him a lot of lessons it's a really beautiful friendship that i consider like brotherly you know fraternal in that way so yeah <laughs> but as tyler and zach are fleeing dakota johnson and the Gez and his partner are like right on their tails but it's they're also like not even i think zach and tyler like don't assume that anyone's following them because when they leave a location they like leave everything i just don't understand they definitely didn't like clean their tracks off Or oh my god that's so wrong but you know they didn't like they didn't go from place to place imagining that somebody was following them which was silly of them it really was as usual i'm gonna read some comments from letterbox because i think they're so funny and sometimes educational but usually funny the description that letterbox has for the peanut butter falcon is different than the wikipedia one i guess obviously but i like this one a lot too it says a down on his luck crab fisherman okay that's what he was embarks on a journey to get a young man with down syndrome to a professional wrestling school in rural north carolina and away from the retirement home where he's lived for the past two and a half years okay many things have been corrected from what i have just said that i will not edit out because i think it's funny that i got these things so wrong they're not in south carolina and they're not traveling to south carolina this all happens in north carolina two he's a crab fisherman okay i should have known because one of the scenes is like him with a bunch of crabs and third it's not a nursing home it's a retirement home cool (laughs) Okay, this first one, (laughs) I don't really understand, but I think it's a nice comment. They rated it three and a half stars and said, If you ask my friends, I watched the entire movie looking like that gif of Lenny at the award show. I assume Lenny Kravitz, I don't know what gif she's, she or he, they are talking about, but inside it felt like a nice warm smile come to life. Funny and nice and easy in a 2007 indie film kind of way, for better and worse. In parentheses, it says, give Dakota Johnson something interesting to do. She deserves better. (laughs) Okay, I like this comment. I didn't even read the last part. I wasn't going to, but then I saw Dakota Johnson's name, so I did. Um, Yeah, I wish I understood what gif they were talking about. (laughs) Um, I could Google it, but I'm not going to. But yeah, I totally agree. It was, like, really easy... It was definitely nice to watch with other people. I'm telling you, like, if you're having, like, a Netflix party, even though this isn't on Netflix, but, like, a Zoom party, like, watching movie, just a Zoom movie night would do, Noelia. (laughs) Just a Zoom movie night. I don't know why I have to speak around the truth. Anyway, (laughs) it's like I constantly talk in passive voice. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) if you're looking for a movie to watch a movie night, I genuinely believe this is a great movie night pick it's just like really nice you know <laughs> feel good as they say but it has like a lot of good lessons in it and there's some serious subject matters okay i'm reading another one this one's long though so i'm definitely gonna mess up um i don't know why i can't just read <laughs> i don't know okay it says on paper the peanut butter falcon sounds like a cursed film like a straight face parody of the quirkiest and most nauseatingly si- sl- I knew it was going to happen. There's the mistake. Okay, I'll start over. (laughs) On paper, The Peanut Butter Falcon sounds like a curse film. Like a straight-faced parody of the quirkiest and most nauseatingly schematic American indies. It's like I never went to school. The title alone (laughs) takes you back to the awful darkness of... (laughs) I totally disagree with this comment. By the way, Napoleon Dynamite and the premise: a winsome young wrestling fan with Down syndrome escapes from his care facility with the help of a depressed crab fisherman played by Shia LaBeouf, could have co- could have been cobbled together by a cube- <laughs> by a computer program. It's been fed twenty years worth of rejected Sundance scripts. <laughs> okay, like it's funny. I don't agree with it, but it is really. <laughs> really funny also this guy i don't know if i mean i'm assuming which you know what they say about assuming not gonna say the word there's a school podcast thank you very much um (laughs) but it was david e h r l i c h i'm sure that like spells out a last name but i'm not even gonna try he gave it a two and two and a half stars so like whatever (laughs) somebody's (laughs) calling i really do love some of these comments somebody said i hate hicks but i love this <laughs> that's like all they said that was the entire <laughs> review uh, okay and then somebody that gave it a five stars wow georgia miller 13 she said in parentheses love this movie slightly less indie feel than the others i don't know what that means and then right under she said so cute and then right under she says shia kills it and dakota johnson like, come on, girl. Just say Dakota Johnson. Whatever. I get it, I guess. Actually, I don't. <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay, I have another one that's kind of, like, mean to the movie. <laughs> I don't know why I love the ones that people are, like, just really not liking the movie. I just think it's so funny. Like, these people that comment on Letterboxd are like, yes, my opinion is superior to other people's. Like, I will never le- leave a written review on a T- On a blah, 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 blah. Wow <laughs> Anyway, I will never read Blah blah, blah, blah. Amen Amen <laughs> I will never leave a written review on letterbox. I think that's like only people with superiority complexes or inferiority complexes do that. And I'm somewhere weirdly in between, you know? Anyway, um somebody said really charming but also kind of boring with <laughs> some truly awful shock continuity and confusing character motivations also i'm not convinced that dakota johnson has ever acted before that is messed up on so many levels this person wrong she said or they said (laughs) also also i'm not convinced (laughs) like they said also twice also also i'm not convinced that john bernthal has ever appeared in a movie for longer (laughs) than 10 minutes but on the plus side zach steals every scene he's in great performance he does he does an incredible job um but also dakota johnson did a great job not her best but not her worst we all know what her worst is and it rhymes with <laughs> me <laughs> this is copyright this is for my carly but it, it sounds sort of like nifty shades of Bay. <laughs> I don't know if you guys know this, but in iCarly, I don't know, obviously you guys remember Gibby. He had a little brother whose name was Guppy. And there's an episode where like Guppy's in the background and he's reading a book and it's called Nifty Shades of Beige. And it was like the year that Fifty Shades of Grey, oh I never wanted to say that name. Ugh. I'm not cutting it out though, it won't make sense if I do it. I could bleep it, I don't know how to do the bleep effect though. I'm not cutting out this part either. Um, <laughs> But basically... <laughs> guppy is reading nifty shades of beige and i had a group chat with some of my friends in high school that my twin brother was also in he's pretty much in all the group chats i'm in (laughs) um (laughs) but anyway the (laughs) the group chat was named nifty shades of beige it's just like why (laughs) like dan schneider who told you to do that i feel like somebody was like dan schneider i will pay you one hundred thousand dollars if you put this in the in the tv show iCarly, it'll be subliminal messaging for these children like it's just so messed up (laughs) like why did he do that but you know what dan schneider didn't have to be creepy he didn't have to do anything he did and he still did okay well i'll read one more review and then move on to the book section i feel like i've been talking about this too long even though that's the point of this episode you know to really delve deeper into a film and a book also because i'm gonna do a whole episode about a tv show so i feel weird like i don't know anyway okay this one gave the movie five stars so hopefully it's a good review you know ending on a good note quote well while you've been doing paperwork we've been doing something called living end quote this film has everything you need from its authentic storytelling to their wonderful characters, touching moments, gorgeous cinematography, and just the perfect amount of humor. Zack and knocks it out of the park along with Shia LaBeouf by his side. Dakota Johnson plays a character that most of us will probably relate to at first when it comes to handling the situation, but just like her character, we suddenly change and begin to appreciate the adventures that life brings us. It's a simple idea, but what I love most about this film is that at first we feel that Zach needs someone there for him, whether it's Shia's character or Dakota's character, and at the end we come to realize that it was them that needed him. Fact. they didn't write that i said that to me that's beautiful it's an amazing film and i recommend anyone to see this it really helps to see a different perspective on things and honestly i feel the need to appreciate life a bit more oh <laughs> they didn't say that i said that <laughs> i need to shut up um there's a lot more to say but i'll stop right there in the end the peanut butter falcon is a great film and i enjoyed it so much great review i feel like i i feel like The same. I don't know what I gave this movie. Let me check. I'll be embarrassed if it's like a two and a half. I didn't give it two and a half stars. There's no way. Okay, yeah, I gave it four and a half stars, which is incredible. So yeah. I don't I can't explain why, but (laughs) I just did. Anyway, that's it for the movie portion. I'm just gonna go on to the book portion and this episode's probably gonna be 40 minutes as usual. Okay, bye. The Catholic You Leadership Team in the Office of Campus Activities has created a new series about applying leadership skills throughout college and life. Tune in to Leadership in 5 and learn about different leadership lessons from your peers. There is also Cups with Joe, an interview-style program hosted by Joseph Arby over everyone's favorite online platform, Zoom. You can listen to both of these exciting programs on our new Instagram, all one word, Leadership. Okay, so for the book portion of this week, I just want to make a disclaimer and say that every single book award of the year for fiction or historical fiction is definitely going to go to this book. I don't know if it actually fits into the theme of historical fiction, but whatever. The book is called The Vanishing Half. I know, you've probably already heard of it, but it's an incredible book, so I thought I should definitely talk about it. Okay, so The Vanishing Half was written by Britt Bennett for a little bit of background. It came out this summer in June... It's 352 pages so it's not too long. There are an insane amount of genres covered from mystery to historical fiction, coming of age, family saga, domestic fiction, the list goes on really. It's basically a story about racism, being white passing, and familial conflicts. There's a lot of perspectives and a lot of jumps in time so at first glance it might be a little bit uh daunting I guess because there are a lot of perspectives but I kind of thought it was interesting that I wasn't lost even a little bit by the perspectives or by the time jumps which is a testament to Britt Bennett's writing so basically I'm gonna read the entire Goodreads description because like I kind of mentioned before this book is extremely intricate and I know I'm gonna miss something if I don't read off of this okay but as you guys probably already know, I suck at reading out loud. Ahem. Okay, the- <laughs> I already met- messed up. Okay, also I don't know if I'm saying the twins' names right. Hold on, give me a second. I'm gonna research it. Okay, so I looked up how to say their last name by literally just listening to the author talk about the book, and apparently it's Veen. <laughs> it's spelled V I G N E S, and it's pronounced Veen. I'm just dumb like okay anyway (laughs) moving on the Veen twin sisters will always be identical but after growing up together in a small southern black community and running away at age 16 it's not just the shape of their daily lives that is different as adults it's everything their families their communities their racial identities many years later one sister lives with her black daughter in the same southern town she once tried to escape the other secretly passes for white and her white husband knows nothing of her past. Still, even separated by so many miles and just as many lies, the fates of the twins remains remain intertwined. I'm sorry, I literally don't know how to read. Okay, moving on. What will happen to the next generation when their own daughter's storylines intersect? Weaving together multiple strands and generations of this family from the deep South to California from the 1950s to the 1990s Britt Bennett produces a story that is at once a riveting emotional family story and a brilliant exploration of the American history of passing. Looking well beyond the issue of race, the vanishing half half considers the lasting influence of the past as it shapes a person's decisions, desires, oh my god, wow, decisions, desires, and expectations and explores some of the multiple reasons and realms in which people sometimes feel pulled to live as something other than their origins as with her new york times best-selling debut the mothers brit bennett offers an engrossing page turner about family and relationships that is immersive and provocative compassionate and wise so that is what goodreads has to say obviously way more concise than anything i could say but essentially this book (laughs) is i mean it kind of sounds like there's a lot in the book already but it really covers so many topics. I mean, it starts off with these twins who live in this town. One of them named Desiree is kind of like the drama queen and she's glamorous and she's more talkative than her sister. And Desiree decides like, hey, we need to run away. And I mean, she's always kind of wanted to, to run away. She's always been the twin that has had like that longing to like run away and just live in a different lifestyle. On the other hand, Stella is way more kept to herself, a little bit more shy, and so they were going to school, but then eventually they were taken taken out of school so that they could help their mother, um, who was a housekeeper, and just, like, cleaned up for a rich man in his house, and they ended up doing that, but they Desiree really got tired of it. I mean, Stella got really sick of it, and there's a lot of, like, secrecy involved in What happened in that house, how that house caused both of them to want to run away. And they eventually did run away during the Founder's Day ball or something that their town was having. And they ran away like literally in the dead of night and just never came back. They went to Washington, D.C. They went to Louisiana. I mean, I don't really know the, I don't remember the order of it, but I know that they were in D.C. and in New Orleans, which is crazy because guess who's in D.C.? Me. Anyway, doesn't matter. (laughs) But... Yeah, so they basically, like, find their own lives kind of thing and their own jobs when they're out in D.C. And I think they went to New Orleans first, then went to D.C., and then I guess they went back to New Orleans. Um, I should really probably know that, but it's in the beginning of the book and my mind is still at the end, which was crazy. (laughs) But basically, Stella ends up finding this man who she falls in love with and she passes over, which you know, is like a phrase commonly used in the book. And it like the whole book is just kind of discussing this topic of like being white passing and passing over as white, forgetting all of your origins to get along in society and whatever. And Stella, which is kind of like un, unfounded, I guess, like it was just unexpected that it would be Stella that passes over when it was Desiree who was looking to escape her life this whole time. And Desiree ends up in a precarious situation and goes back to the town, as the synopsis said. Um, The town that they both grew up in, which is called Mallard. And kind of like the description said, it's a traditionally black um neighborhood it's kind of special in its own regard i won't say why because i think it's a little bit of a spoiler but yeah basically they go back to their own town or she goes back to the town stella basically disappears and never says anything to desiree once she does um and then the book just kind of tracks their life in the different like trajectories that they've had and the different paths that they have taken but what's interesting and what the description kind of says so i consider this to not be a spoiler is that the daughters like their daughters end up finding each other they don't necessarily know that they're related obviously when they first but that storyline is really fascinating and i am a sucker man for a generational tale like i adore them i hope i review the book pachinko on this podcast because i love that book and it's another like generational tale oh so good I really love them. I think they're very, in my, like, Spanish major background, a lot of the stories that are, like, really famous in Latin America are, like, generational, so I don't know. I just feel a little bit of a connection with them, and yeah, I think it's really interesting how this particularly lines up with the theme. Obviously, it lines up with the theme because they take journeys out of their town mallard in louisiana to go to new orleans and then dc and then they like branch off one of them goes to california and the other one goes back to mallard but it's really interesting just to see the ways in which the these like different journeys mean different things in a literary way so there's like this emphasis on physical traveling of course but they're obviously escaping their current situation and for stella leaving mallard is kind of like permission to pass over like she by leaving mallard has left all of her ties to her family to her past while for desiree it's kind of this symbolic journey of realizing that maybe things are better from where you come from you know if and she really has this mentality of like after she experiences everything in new orleans and dc She realizes, like, hey, my life was better when I was in Mallard. And now she's kind of, like, a little bit withdrawn from the outside world, from the real world and everything. Not the real world, but anything outside of Mallard, she's just kind of wary about. Whereas Stella kind of sees the world after she finally leaves Mallard as this huge, like, playground for her life, you know? She's not the (laughs) most fun at first. Um, She's kind of like a housewife for a little bit, which isn't a bad thing but she's definitely like boring her daughter is not boring though but anyway after living in new orleans and washington dc finding this guy she's kind of like liberated to go to other places it's interesting how those two things are different because the reason stella is able to move everywhere is because she's married and she passed over and the reason that um desiree decides to go back is because she wants to be connected to her family to her mom and to her daughter, like, so, yeah, that's very interesting, but this theme of displacement works for both of them, even if Desiree went back to her hometown, and, um, Stella went to LA, because, uh, I don't know why I said L- LA like that, that's embarrassing, California, anyway, <laughs> but basically, they're both dis- displaced from the girls that they used to be when they were younger when they were innocent when the world hadn't gotten to them and they didn't feel like certain things were super off limits like Stella thinks that going back home is so off limits and Desiree thinks that leaving home is extremely off limits so by leaving they kind of associated traveling with displacement with feeling outside of yourself outside of who you once were and I think what's really interesting is that the whole book when they're separated from each other they're both constantly thinking of each other or constantly trying to not think of each other but at the end of the day they know each other so well they're twin sisters they're like so connected that it, it's like a They lost a piece of themselves and some of the best like parts of the book that are like the most emotional have to do with this separation of oneself because in a way they did lose part of themselves because Desiree lost that part of herself that was Stella, that was traveling, that was outside of Mallard, whereas Stella lost that part of herself that is Mallard, that is her hometown, that is her mom and her family and the Veen family. (laughs) I can't believe how wrong I thought that was pronounced. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah so I'm just gonna read some quotes that I really like and then discuss some of them because I think they go really well into first of all how the book is written like poetry. I literally think the book is Just one big poem. And second of all, I think that some of these quotes lend themselves to not only the theme, but parts of the plot that are hard to explain if you don't have a little bit of context. So I have a lot of quotes here, but for the first one, it reads, the only difference between lying and acting was whether your audience was in on it, but it was all a performance just the same. So there's also a part in the book, I guess towards the two-thirds mark, where we're introduced to a character that is an actress and is in some way related to these twins. I'm not going to say how. (laughs) but she's a fascinating character she's very complicated she has no idea about her past like what her family origins are her ancestry i guess i kind of just gave away who this character is but i'm still not going to say just in case you want to guess but this character is really fascinating she's very bold really spoiled but this kind of lesson on how acting really affects your soul and your personality and your security in yourself that whole lesson and theme is extremely pertinent in that part of the book and it just shows how complicated specific characters are not just the actress in question okay next one blanks death i'm not gonna say the pronoun because there's only so few females and males in this book so i'm not gonna say the pronoun but blanks death hit in waves not a flood but water lapping steadily at her ankles you could drown in two inches of water maybe grief was the same I think this quote is incredible. Like, it really speaks to the fact that the book is just one big poem. (laughs) It's not just an epic. (laughs) Don't correct me here. (laughs) But anyway, this is really fascinating because a lot of characters do die in the book. I mean, like, the book takes place from the 50s to the 90s. There's bound to be some sort of death in both of their lives from, you know, the older people in their lives, even the younger people in their lives. Like, Obviously, there's going to be death. Specific deaths hit harder than others. But this one specifically... I think messed me up just because of this quote I mean I thought of this quote for a while after I mean I, I read this book a while ago I'm gonna be honest with you <laughs> I read it like uh, probably in October September and I still think about this quote I think it's really beautiful and I think Britt Bennett is I mean she's a young author she's like she's not prolific she's not old enough to be prolific and this just like is a testament to the kind of future she's gonna have in the literary world because you can't just write this like you know You know how like girls like open their notes app on their phone i'm like i'm guilty of it i'm sure men do it too and they just like write stuff and they're like oh my god this hits this is just a quote from another planet and then you read it the next day and you're like what did i just write this is so embarrassing i guess i'm just talking about myself i don't know if other people do that but i did see Brittany broski tweet like if i die my notes app is going down with me like nobody's going to be able to read that anyway i have i one time like wrote something about like funky town it was so late wait i know people do this because me and my friend have talked about this okay maybe it's just me and my friend but uh, like me and my friend and Brittany broski come on everyone else does it if all three of us do it okay anyway um i one time wrote something about like funky town and i thought it was gonna be like the next like big comedy movie and i just read it the next day and i was like this is embarrassing i didn't delete it though because i think it's really funny So anyway, people are like running right now outside my apartment upstairs or is it rain? I'm in the closet right now for good acoustics. Okay next one (laughs) i like how it just went on that on a tangent on that like beautiful quote about grief okay (laughs) moving on next one (laughs) she hadn't realized how long it takes to become somebody else or how lonely it can be living in a world not meant for you i think it's obvious who in the book said this spoiler alert i'm pretty sure it was stella (laughs) but i'm like not exactly sure either but anyway basically this is this specific quote kind of shows the internal conflict that stella and her daughter feel her daughter for other reasons but especially stella feels throughout the whole book because she really is playing the role of somebody else she's completely rejected her past and is now living in this like completely different world that she's never experienced and it is lonely nobody knows her past like her husband on multiple occasions is like tell me about your family and she's like haha what (laughs) like she i think she like says that her family's dead or something and then her daughter at some point finds out that she has a twin sister and like it's just shocking i mean like imagine knowing somebody and you're like oh yeah they're an orphan and an only child and then you find out that they have a twin sister like i feel like that totally changes the game here and like somebody's childhood completely which is obviously a huge part of people in general so i don't know like i think this quote very succinctly play like explains exactly what Stella was feeling since I can't really explain it in my own words because I suck at explaining things (laughs) okay moving on (laughs) the next one says and this is in reference to Mallard the town that these two that the veen tween veen tweens (laughs) tweens the most dangerous demographic okay the veen twins are from Okay, it says, A town always looked different once you'd returned. Like a house where all the furniture had shifted three inches. You wouldn't mistake it for a stranger's house, but you'd keep banging your shins on the table corners. So... (laughs) this is obviously about Desiree and when she returned to Mallard uh I think this is incredible like the little simile we have going on with the house and the furniture and the three inches just kind of shows like things didn't significantly change like it's not like this rural town suddenly became like downtown Manhattan but it did shift in the eyes of Desiree because she had gone to DC and New Orleans and experienced the world beyond Mallard and when you change your perspective a little a little bit things are going to look different and this perspective i think is one of the most interesting ones in the book like desiree being back in mallard like her character completely changed i think stella literally passed over but i think desiree's character had the most like jarring and i i'm not gonna tell you why because obviously that's that's a spoiler but desiree's character had the most jarring twist of personality of like temperament obviously she's still herself but it's like she. Just totally and completely changed the way that she interacted with people and her outlook on life. Like, she was always a twin that wanted to get out, and Stella was always shy. So, like, it's not different for her to be shy in this new world that she's in, even though obviously it's a completely different world <laughs> she's living in. But I thought it was shocking, and I really thought I should at least mention how much Desiree changes throughout the book. It's obviously not a bad thing. She's my absolute favorite character, and her daughter is also my favorite character. I think they're so, so cool. And her daughter's like, a completely different story and I I'm hesitating whether to explain anything about her because I don't want to give away spoilers but I have seen all of this on the internet in like descriptions of the book so I'm going to be- very briefly say Desiree does indeed have a daughter so does Stella but Desiree's daughter is really really good at running she I think that's all I'm going to say about that she's very very fast but she's also the daughter of Desiree and um, obviously a man but the man is not in the picture and Desiree or Desiree's daughter herself is not white passing. Britt Bennett I mean the way she writes her character is insane I really like literally beautiful I don't know I just I'm not gonna spoil anything that's all I'm gonna say if you do read the book please hold out for when Desiree's daughter shows up because she's so incredible. One of the last things I kind of want to talk about is very fitting it's about the ending of the book which you know i have a goodreads account (laughs) like uh it's literally a social media platform for me at this point and kind of like letterboxd it's pretty similar but just about books and a lot of people had very mixed feelings about the ending i think one of the top comments the last time i checked was about the ending of the book and somebody was like how did you guys feel about the ending and it had a lot of mixed <laughs> feelings in there some people said it was cheap some people said it was like rush some people felt it didn't fit the book and i'm here to say i disagree <laughs> i think the ending was incredible and you know this whole time i've been saying like the, i think the book is a big poem i think it was and so, i think somebody on goodreads said like it was just a poetic ending like if you guys think it doesn't fit that's because it's like the end of a poem like you know Britt bennett has been treating this i don't know if she actually has but it seems like brit bennett has been treating this book like a poem like this piece of writing that is not just fiction that it goes beyond like narrative storytelling and it goes into the realm of like symbolism you know the kind of writing that isn't necessarily uh, direct it's more like semiotic and yeah i think the ending is beautiful i think it's very fitting it makes a lot of sense to me and i cried i thought it was beautiful and extremely cinematic i don't know if this is ever going to be a movie i don't know if it should be a movie but that ending i could see it being one of the most beautiful shots this book could easily get like best cinematography at the oscars or something if they made it into a movie because some of the visuals are gorgeous and the fact that it's treated like a poem i don't know it just makes sense to me anyway (laughs) i've rambled on enough about this book and i hope you enjoyed it and i really hope you pick it up because i do think that the vanishing half is going to be nominated well it's already been nominated but that it's going to win book of the year on various different platforms and it's really gone beyond a lot of genres you know it's nominated for best fiction in some publications but in other publications it's nominated for best historical fiction or something like that or best family drama or something you know i think this book is going to win a lot of awards and a lot of people are going to be talking about this book for a very long time and i don't think that's the only reason you should pick up this book but there's a reason that people are talking about this book it really i've never read anything like it and it really opened my doors to reading more diverse literature that isn't just, you know, Hispanic literature, because that's what I consider diverse. You know what I mean? Like, because I have a very narrow perspective on the world. You know, I've always thought like, oh, I'm going to move outside of my box. I'm going to read literature in Spanish. And that's not outside of my box. That's literally my heritage. (laughs) So I think, reading this book i mean reading this book is what opened me up to reading such a fun age the girl with the louding voice just books that really work beyond my own culture and my own comfort zone so i don't know i think it's really beautiful and yeah i hope you pick that one up okay so i hope you guys enjoyed this episode of drip aka don't read into it i'll see you guys not next week but the week after and we're gonna talk about just one tv show and i'm very excited to talk about this tv show and i might have some guests on. So see you then. Bye.